96.1 FM LP Poe People's Revolutionary Radio I'm JV and you're listening to Free Aslan and before we start the program um, you know I'll be having um, a co-host today uh, Lupe Lujan um, and she'll be joining me today uh, but before I get into that um, we're going to have a good show. We're going to be reading some of the Chicana, Chicano Power and the Struggle for Aslan book. And we'll be discussing the book and, um, and, and all of that. But before I get into that, I just want to give some news updates from Aslan Press. Um, so first, first off on the agenda is, uh, you know, there's been some uh, monthly demonstrations still occurring in Sacramento. They're being done at the state capitol. Uh, you know, families are meeting. Uh, it'll be for the fourth time this month. Uh, you know, so check it out. You could go to uh, prisonershungerstrikesolidarity.org and learn more about that, uh, get involved in, in what the families and everybody are doing in Sacramento. You know, they're meeting every month because... Um, of what's occurring in the prisons. They're still torturing people. They still have solitary confinement. You know, they still have, um, you know, everything that they're doing. They're doing even worse things now, gladiator fights. You know, they return to gladiator fights. Or the gladiator fights never went away, but, you know, they've increased them in recent times. So that's something that's very important and that uh, people are, um, you know... Um, struggling against families and you know there's a lot of stuff going on so people are meeting monthly at the state capitol and um you know so join them and and see what you can do in other news on uh, in regards to the asker ruling the asker versus brown uh lawsuit settlement uh that was the lawsuit that actually got everybody kicked out of the shoe or at least a thousand people kicked out of the shoe and um you know that settlement is going on it's still um you know it's still a, a, an issue it's still a struggle and recently the courts just um they just ruled that the prisons have to continue to have uh oversight because you know they can't regulate themselves they 
are continuing uh, to go against the lawsuit. Um, so they're not capable of carrying out what their own courts tell them to do, you know, and, and this is a big problem in the U.S. prison system. The concentration camps, you know, do what they want when they want. And as a result, a lot of prisoners end up dead, um, you know, in poor health and um, abused, so tortured. So this is something that, you know, we're following the Ashker ruling in recent times. Um, in other news, we've got to mention the political prisoners, you know, all of our political prisoners. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and the thing is, you know, Political prisoners, you know, they're in prison for struggling for us all. So they sacrifice their lives. Sometimes, you know, their you know their freedom. They sacrifice their you know even even their families. You know, um, you know, and so you know, revolutionaries uh, make these sacrifices, these ultimate sacrifices, and end up in prison. And they sacrifice for us all. And then what happens is many people forget about them. And that's just, that's just, uh, you know, it, it's unacceptable. So we got to remember our political prisoners. These are people who put everything on the line, went all the way with it, and they ended up in prison for uh, struggling against the very things we're struggling against today. And uh, we never want to forget our political prisoners. Uh, you know, the U.S. talks about all these countries with political prisoners, but guess what? U.S. has plenty of political prisoners, and, you know, they're still in prison. Uh, you know, we can name, we could go down the list and name how many people are still confined uh, in, in the prison. You know, of course, Leonard Peltier, you know, they got to let that brother go. You know, there's Mutulu Shakur, there's, you know, we, we, could, we could just have an endless list of political prisoners. But, you know, I wanted to mention, you know, those who have recently passed, recent times um you know uh, for one of course we want to mention um dennis banks of the american indian movement and you know um you know the in american indian movement um you know had some very good struggles against the empire and they continue to struggle today and you know those who um you know, who have, um, you know, ended up sacrificing their lives and end up, um, you know, behind enemy lines, behind these, these prison walls, you know, and, and end up dying sometimes behind the prison walls shouldn't be forgotten. You know, it's a horrible thing to, um, you know, to have sacrificed your life and then to have been forgotten. It's, it's you know, it's just unacceptable. So, you know, Dennis Banks... Uh, Malvin Dixon is another, uh, Richard Brown, you know, Richard Brown in the Bay Area, you know, he's part of the San Francisco 8, and, you know, that's when they try to go back and, and round up these Black Panthers, uh, for, um, allegations that were untrue from years previously, and that's something that, um, you know, you know, something that, that was worth struggling against. Um, and, you know, he's recently passed. Of course, Hugo Pinnell, Yogi, you know, Yogi uh, of the San Quentin Six, you know, he um, struggled until the end, until he was in his 70s. You know, he was, uh, you know, held, um, 
you know, unjustly, illegally, um, by the, you know, criminal injustice system. And he, and he was held uh, for decades, four decades in, in solitary confinement. And that's, you know, that's just, you know, that's just crazy when you think about it, you know, torturing a man for four decades and then um, releasing him into the ultimate gladiator fight, because we're going to talk about gladiator fights, you know, releasing him into the, this, this prison yard where, you know, um, the guards in the prison had uh, evidence and information that his life was in danger, and they still uh, sent him. And then, you know, according to many eyewitnesses, when um, these uh, white supremacists were on top of him, um, you know, um, um, attempting to end his life, you know, you had the guard towers, um, you had the white guards in the tower uh, shooting at, you know, the black prisoners who were trying to break up this assault and, and this murder. So, you know, this is something that, you know, if you really think about it, just think about that where here you have a 70-year-old man and here you have these young white supremacists on top of them uh, with weapons and when black prisoners attempt to run to break it up and to stop this murder from occurring, you have the guard tower, uh, the, the white guard up there shooting at the black prisoners to keep them back. And... This is uh, what occurs in U.S. prisons. It, it, it's just horrific. And this is what continues to happen. It continues to be um, a situation where brown and black people are, you know, um, basically used as um, fodder for this uh, gladiator sport, you know, just like in the days of Rome. And then you have the, the towers <laughs> and they're shooting at brown and black people who are trying to stop brown and black people from being murdered uh, by this, you know, these white supremacists. It's it's a horrible situation the way prison is is um, works, and um, and it continues to go. And you know, uh, Hugo Pinnell, Yogi, is an example that it's very much alive, and, and white supremacy is very much alive in the prisons. And he's an example of that. And, 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 you know, his spirit, revolutionary spirit lives on, um, you know. And, and just as Fred Hampton said, you know, you, you can kill a revolutionary, but you are not going to kill the revolution. It's, it's just, you know, his spirit and what he stood for, what he struggled for uh, continues to live on. And, and many who he touched and, and many who he taught. And so, you know, we want to give... Uh, you know, we, we want to give uh, our love uh, sent out to, to, to Yogi. And then also, <clears throat> Corky Gonzalez, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, recently passed. Corky, you know, was a leader of the Chicano movement. Um, in my opinion, <clears throat> you know, he um, was at the forefront um, of the Chicano movement. He created a lot of programs. And, you know, he created his organization, Crusade for Justice. You know, they had a liberation school. They had, um, you know, um, they had a lot of stuff going on that, that many other organizations weren't doing. And Corky understood that, you know, 
the Chicano people were a nation, and and you know he fought for that, he struggled for that his whole life. Um, he understood, and he understood that Aslan had to be liberated. That that's something that you know he continued to fight for and struggle for his for his whole life, and and you know, and so he recently passed, and you know, um, and and that was a big loss uh, to today's Chicano movement. You know, because he was a big piece of history that um, had a firm grasp on our social reality and who we are as a people and as a nation. And, you know, and so to see him go was, was very, very, very sad. But, you know, his revolutionary spirit lives on as well. All of those he taught, all of those he touched, you know, will continue um, continue to move forward and to struggle for um, for justice for our people, you know, and that's very important. And, um, you know, <clears throat> moving on to other news, uh, and, and lastly, I'd like to bring up um, what's occurring today in California prisons, which is a yard integration. Um, this is, you know, basically gladiator fights on a large scale. And, you know, they, they did gladiator. A lot of people heard of gladiators fights from Corcoran Prison. You know, in the 90s, they did big, FBI did big investigations, and they caught guards who were um, betting on, on fights, and they would match up prisoners. Okay, bring him out and him out, and I'll put $1,000 on it. And they were up there in the in the guard tower betting on, on people's lives, and people would get killed. People would get hurt, people would get shot, and people would get killed, and they were betting on this. And it came out, they did an investigation, and it came out that this was uh, part of the guard culture where they would bet on human beings, whether they lived or died. And this is something that, um, you know, it continues to go on in various ways. You know, it's nothing confined to Corcoran. This is something that plagues the U.S. prison system in general. Um... And when it comes to California, it's just a little more overt, but it's everywhere, you know. And 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 for those who don't understand what's occurring, California prisons, uh, the prison system today has initiated um, this thing where they um, take prisoners uh, who are in uh, protective custodies for various um, safety reasons and they're putting them in general populations. And they're not just, you know, bringing a bus of uh, 10, 20 um, PC inmates and then throwing them out. What, what they're doing is they're bringing them in, locking down the yard, bringing in this bus, putting them in cells where nobody's around. Now they're housed in these different blocks on this yard. And then they initiate a lockdown they lock down the facility, and then they start um, concentrated releases. You know, they 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 um, they will pick and choose certain cells. So you know, they'll they'll, they'll pick uh, two cells of general population, and then you know, three or four cells of PC prisoners, and then they will walk them out to the yard one by one, single one at a time, so that nothing occurs inside the building or in the hallway, put them out in the big yard, 
and then release the other ones from another block and and just let them go at it gladiator style and they're all standing around the yard the guards they're in guard towers they're in the windows of the buildings and they're just watching so this is entertainment to them this is entertainment to them but you know prisoners you know th these are our loved ones these are our brothers and sisters and these are our primos and these are our homies and these are our neighbors and and these are people that come from our communities who are treated like um you know as if they are um you know cannon fodder like if they are you know um roosters in a, in a chicken fight or something so this is what they do to our people this is what they've been doing and they continue to do this you know this is uh they talk about land of the free and all this stuff and and here you are taking human beings and uh pitting them against each other in this blood blood sport so you know there's nothing free there's nothing um you know sacred about what goes around uh goes on within these um these borders and and this is something that you know our people been suffering uh, and it's a form of national oppression and it's a form of national oppression because the majority of prisoners are brown and black they derive from the chicano nation they derive from the black nation and in the majority um and this these are the people who are being affected and so and we know who the ones that um run the department of justice and we know who the ones are that run the department of um the bureau of prisons and all this stuff and, and you know we know where these laws come from and where this culture comes from and um and yeah it is american culture it's 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 oppressive culture and and it's been going on too long so this is something that's happening they're doing gladiator fights you could see some of the fights on youtube i, I saw some on uh solidad prison where they have big groups of prisoners fighting each other it's horrible sickening me it just is disgusting to see that um that you know different um you know forms of government are allowing this to happen you know um nobody in the state capital is saying anything they don't care why because it's mostly poor brown and black people that are being used as gladiators so um you know it's it's disgusting and 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 it's a shame to see um you know this go on especially when there's so many brown and black people uh holding public office and that just shows that um you know brown faces in high places don't mean nothing you know we're still going to suffer you know cuz all they've done is assimilated into the oppressor but let me let me just um what i wanted to do is um you know i i wanted to read um you know some words on on what's happening um with this hunger strike there's also a hunger strike going on you know um there's a hunger strike in Corcoran, um, and, and, you know, um, prisoners are, are hunger striking. They're going off and on, you know, um, and this is what they're doing. They're just, you know, they're trying any way they can to um, get justice to stop the torture. <coughs> Excuse me. So in Corcoran's hunger strike, they have six core demands. Um the first demand is to lift the lockdown. They've been on lockdown so long, you know, and, and it's it's because of this um, these gladiator fights 
gladiator integration that they're doing. Uh, number two, the second demand is to allow visits because when they're on lockdown, they're not allowed visits, so they can't see their loved ones, their family, their children. They can't do none of that. And um, they can't do none of that because they're being used as gladiators, and, and, and that's all the prison cares about. They're bloodthirsty, and they want to see prisoners, uh, you know, go at it ever since they uh, initiated the end hostilities, agreement to end hostilities, where prisoners have been coexisting. You know, these, these guards in the guard union have initiated this gladiator blood sport, and, and they do it because they have to keep their jobs in the remote prisons where they work. They've moved there with their children. They've bought homes. They've created businesses, and, you know, they're coming from Central and South uh, Southern California all the way to different parts of the, um, you know, Northern California, uh, Pelican Bay, all these prisons. So if there's nothing going on and the shoes are empty, well, they're going to get rerouted and reassigned to different prisons. Um, this is after they put their children into school. You know, they put little little Tommy in the school, little Amy in the school up in Pelican Bay, and now they got to yank them out and, you know, um, and take them back to wherever they came from. So, you know, then they got to sell the house and they got to do all that and, you know, um, uh, all, all of the above. So to, to avoid that, they've created this plan where, you know, let's just put um, – general pop prisoners with pc prisoners and then they'll have at it and we'll fill the shoes back up so this is this is what they do they do stuff like this um you know human beings put their lives you know in jeopardy just to um feed their their greed and their selfishness so anyway number three the the demand is allow us to attend educational vocational and rehabilitation programs that we're enrolled in. So some of the prisoners have enrolled in college courses, um, you know, in, in drug classes, GED classes, things to better themselves you know, for self-betterment um, and for lifers so that they could go to board and, and be released after they could show that they've been rehabilitated. And due to these lockdowns in the gladiator blood sport, um, they shut down classes. So now they're not only suffering and their lives in danger, but now they can't even rehabilitate. And when they go up to board for the lifers, they can't even get released because guess what? They weren't allowed to go to class and get their certificate. So this has a lot of ripples. It affects a lot of different um, parts. There's a lot of moving parts here, and, um, and that's what's happening. So four... Demand number four, allow us to receive commissary and packages. And, you know, they don't allow them to buy nothing. They can't buy their hygiene, their soap, their deodorant. They can't um, get packages with, with anything in there. So due to the gladiator blood sport, uh, prisoners aren't allowed to get use deodorant, you know, to get soap to be clean. You know, and this is dehumanizing. This is a part of dehumanization when human beings are forced to, you know, um, not have hygiene, uh, you know, up to living standards, human standards. You know, it's it's horrible. And once again, it's disgusting. So this is how uh, prisoners are being treated, you know, instead of trying to rehabilitate them, they're dehumanizing them. And that's not surprising. Number five. 
that we be given our weekly 10 hours mandated of outdoor exercise yard. And that's court order. That's a, a right. It's a human right for people to be allowed to go outside for 10 hours uh, a week, you know. Um, you know, these ain't dogs. We're, we're talking about human beings. And, you know, um, to not give them their 10 hours uh, is just inhumane. It's, it's, it's just... It's horrible. It's it, it's a form of torture to have people in solitary and locked up like this. So, you know, in, in all of these ways, um, you know, we're just seeing injustice after injustice. So, you know, number six, demand six states that we are treated fairly. And, you know, they're not asking for nothing. They're not asking to be released. I would ask to be released. I'd say, you know what, we need a demand to be released. Get, open these gates and, and let us out. We need to be released, and uh, we demand to be released. Most people are in prison for petty things anyway. Most people are in prison for property crimes. Most people are in prison because they were hungry. You know, yeah, they could have worked. They could have did this. We don't know their background. We don't know what they've been through, What, why they're suffering and the ways they're suffering. Most people are in there for crimes of poverty. So, you know, the first demand I would have said if I was in there was release us. We want to be, 50% of us want to be released ASAP. 50% of us. You could pick any ones you want. We want to be released. This is unacceptable. But, you know, the prisoners, they're not asking for nothing um, as, um, you know, as forward as that. You know, they're, they're being, you know, very humble in their demands, in my opinion. And, you know, um, you know, they don't even want to give them that. And, and it's just it's just sickening how, how human beings are treated. It doesn't matter they committed a crime. I mean, some of the worst crimes are committed by those in Washington, D.C. So I, I don't want to hear about crimes. Crimes in, in the U.S., uh, crimes, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you do. It's it's all about who you do it for. Because we see, you know, we got military go around the world committing the most atrocities that human beings have ever heard of and come back and get a medal. And yet, you know, somebody is protecting their friends and family, um, and does something, does the same act, um, they're, they're going to death row. And, and that's because it comes down to who you're doing it for. It's not about the crime. It's who you're doing it for. And, um, you know, so that's something that we need to think about uh, when we hear about laws and crime. A lot of people like to parrot, you know, repeat the same thing. Crime this and crime that and... There's too much crime, and they deserve it because there's crime. Next time you hear that, think about my words. It's not a crime. It's who you commit it for, you know, because people can actually commit murder. If you commit murder for the U.S. military, you're getting the medal, you know. You you, you do that same crime for, you know, protecting grandma. Guess what? You, you go into death row. You go into prison for 30 years. So it's not, a, it's not about crime. It's all po politics, you know, it's about who you commit it for, and that's what it comes down to. So remember that when you he start hearing people talk about crime this, crime that. Let them know what, what you heard on Free Aslan. Let them know about them crimes and what that really means. But let me, uh, you know, so that was the news updates from Aslan Press, and, um, and now we're going to move on.
So we have a very good show today. Um, you know, I have a, a co-host today. Uh, I have Lupe Lujan here, uh, co-host, and, and welcome to Free Aslan, Lupe. Thank you, Joey. Thank you for the invite. Oh, no problem. And, um, you know, Lupe has her own show, you know, and, and why don't you tell us a little bit about your show, since some of the viewers don't, don't know. Well, I'm on KKUP 91.5 FM, and um, uh, I do El Barrio Nuevo. Um, next time I'm on will be March uh, 9th at 9 a.m. till 11.45. And so um, tune in if you can. But today, thank you very much. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, listening to more of your commentary. It's always a pleasure to hear you. You've got so much information for us Chicanos to learn. Thank so you, continue. Well, thank you, Lupe. I appreciate that. And, and you know, you, you, you're, you know, great help here as a co-host. And, um, you know, in today's show... I wanted to talk about a very special book, uh, Chicana, Chicano Power and the Struggle for Aslan. And this book um, by a MIM prison study group. And, you know, I'll just give a little bit of background, a short background, because I want to really get into this book. But um, this is a very important book. Um, you know, it, it has, uh, you know, it was written by two prisoners. You know, um, one housed in Pelican Bay Shoe. Um, you know, it's a very, very special book. There's a lot of information in there. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's like a his, history book, you know. Absolutely. And, and it is. It's been described as a history book. Some people call it a study manual. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Some people call it a training manual. Depends, um, you know, because you could use it for various... Um, Things, so it depends what you're using it for. What do you call it? I call it all of the above. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I read it like a history book, and then there's other times I want to use it as a training manual or as a study guide. Um, and so, you know, it depends what mood I'm in and, you know, and all of that. Um, but I see it as all of the above. And... Um, you know, it has my artwork on the front cover. You know, I did the cover art, and I contributed some other art inside. And so, as a contributor, um, as as a as a contributor, an art contributor to this book, I think it's very. Um, I think it came out very powerful. I know I'm a little biased, but you know, I think it's uh, an excellent book um, to teach people history and also how to organize today. Um, and what and what, what what separates it from a lot of books, Chicano books, um, <clears throat> is it not just speaks about the problem. It not just speaks about what occurred to us. It not just speaks about um, you know what what should happen or what couldn't happen. It actually provides a blueprint on what would get us out of this situation 
and um, it, it, it talks about how we can go about liberating our people block block to block, barrio to barrio, and um, how we can do it even from within the prisons. So it's a very special book, and you know it's it's unapologetically, um, you know, blunt. Uh, you know, it holds no punches on who the oppressor nation is, on who did what to our people, and, you know, it's very uncut. It's very, very bold in what it says. You know, the the writers in here, you know, um, they weren't afraid to, you know... Uh, get, tell it like it is. Well, to tell it like it is, they weren't afraid to, you know, they weren't going to lose no job over it. They weren't going to get no grant token for speaking the truth. Um, you know, these are prisoners. So How many have, actually participated in putting the book together? Uh, two prisoners participated, and then an outside organization um, helped coordinate um, things and edited. So, um, you know, it, it was a small handful of people who participated, but, you know, some of the most powerful uh forms of uh, revolution have always started from a handful of people. You know, if we look to different countries who've transformed their societies, it's always started from a handful of people meeting together in a living room or, um, you know, something like this, and they meet together, and then that grows to more and more and more. So, you know, it was a small group of people, and um, and, and they put, put out this uh, beautiful book, uh, very, very powerful. So I'm going to read, I'm going to start to read from some of this. And um, of course, I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing, but I just want listeners uh, to hear some of the powerful words inside this book. And, you know, you can find the book on, you know, of course, Aslam Press distributes it. So you can um, hit me up. Um, you can email me, uh, uh, whatever, and we can discuss different things. But the book is available, um, you know, in any... Um, you Through know, Aslam Press? Aslam Press, mm -hmm. you know, online, you can find it. But anyway, let me get is to Is it this. on Amazon? It is on Amazon. Okay. And it's also on Barnes & Noble's book online. Um, it's on Target online. You can find this on a lot of different um, sites. So anyway, let me get to this book. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the introduction... So the introduction starts with a quote from NC12, which is a pseudonym of a, of a contributor. And the book, the first quote states, The nation as a social and historical formation exists in both objective and subjective reality. It is neither permanent nor unchanging. Both its overall existence in human society and its specific manifestations are subject to the laws of material development. The nation rises and falls. It is born and dies as determined by the motion of forces both internal and external to itself. Nations are not created solely by the drawing of state borders. Any more than nation states are the products of their official nations alone. Not all nations have developed nation states, and not all states have been built around specific nations. And the book goes on in the introduction as follows. For revolutionaries from the oppressed nations, 
This point speaks truth to power. All matter is in constant motion, and change is the inviolable law of nature. In order for any national liberation movement to be successful, the emerging forces within the revolutionary movement must themselves move in accordance with the material laws of development. This is the only possible way we will ever accelerate the transformation of social progress and achieve our revolution. The Chicana Chicano National Liberation Movement must embrace revolutionary science if it is ever to complete full emancipation from imperialist oppression and amalgamation. History has shown us that how oppressed nations organize is determinant of their struggles. How the Chicana Chicano Nation will decide to organize will be a matter of life and death to the nation as correct tactics flow from correct strategies, which in turn flow from correct political lines. Related to this point is the fact that there has been a renewal of discussion amongst the imprisoned Chicana Chicano Lumpen concerning the national colonial question of the Southwest United States, otherwise known as Aslan. As such, and in recognition of the material laws of development, the Chicana-Chicano National Liberation Movement behind prison walls has begun to reconvene on a revolutionary nationalist footing. We should take into account what this effort means to Aslan and to future Chicanas and Chicanos. Many of us already know and understand the bloody historical contradictions within the Chicano nation. Most have come to understand that the Pintas were battlegrounds, where brown-on-brown crime was the normal program. But this was incorrect practice and fomented further divisions within our nation. For too long, Raza have allowed the state to find ways to separate us. This is changing. The authors of this book have provided us with the most current, correct, and concise work out there with which to attract the Chicano lump into our cause. Therefore, in reading Chicano Power and the Struggle for Aslan, we hope that one obtains a clear understanding of the nation and its need to be liberated. We also hope that this book challenges the imprisoned Chicano lump to critically think about their place in history and the world. There is indeed a, na a Chicano National Liberation Movement that has begun to redevelop behind prison walls, and national liberation will become a real possibility for us as capitalist crisis continues to heighten. But before going into this subject any further, it is essential that we build a foundation on which we can unite and push the movement forward. To do this, we must address two widely held points of contention within the Chicano community. First is the concept of Aslan as a social and historical reality. Second is the very definition of Chicano itself. Quote, as words are another way of def defining phenomenon, and the definition of any phenomenon is the first step to either controlling it or being controlled by it. Unquote. Thus, we will begin by putting the term Chicano into its proper historical context. The origins of the term Chicano are found in the word Mexica. Mexica was changed to 
Mexicano through Spanish mispronunciation and was used to refer to people all over what would become Central America and the so-called, quote, Southwest United States, unquote. Chicano and Chicana are just shortened versions of Mexica and have long been considered acceptable variations on Mexica. The Spanish applied the gender forms of their language to the people they conquered, with the masculine O being used to refer to both women and men. This is an artifact of the Spanish language that evolved within a patriarchal society. Language is a part of our culture, and we must revolutionize our culture to transform the nation. Therefore, we have chosen to use the gender-neutral term Chicana Chicano to challenge the influence that patriarchy and machismo has had on our movement. We will only gain the full support of the people by challenging oppression of all people. On a related note, the term Mexican-American should by no means be thought of as the next best available term used to describe Chicanas and Chicanos. As if Chicanas and Chicanos are as American as apple pie. This is an integrationist lie used by the imperialists and their coconut lackeys against the Chicano people to provide false hopes of full assimilation into the American nation. Their intent, intent is to distract us from real solutions to the problems of national oppression. To say that, to say that we are Mexican-American is to say that we have identified with our oppressor, thus disavowing our own and casting off into the abyss the oppressed people of the world. Instead, we recognize that we are a nation separate from America with a separate history. Our nations do not intersect. Rather, they contradict via the oppressor and oppressed nation dynamic. Activists before us refuse the terms Hispanic and Latino as fully and concisely definitive of the Chicano people. They correctly recognize the relationship of the general to the particular and saw that bourgeois academia was purposely jumbling these terms so as to keep us ignorant of our history. The activists further stated that, quote, we cannot coin terms for unity's sake when these terms fail to fully represent our diverse communities, unquote. We fully agree. They also correctly saw the potential for the term Chicano to fill the void left by the rejected terms and become backwards in its own right. Hence, the following was said, perhaps as a safeguard against potential national chauvinist politicking on behalf of Chicanas and Chicanos. Quote, Chicanismo does not seek to use the word Chicano as an umbrella term when describing all of la familia de la raza, family of Latino nations. Rather, Chicanismo seeks to educate our barrios and campos about our history and culture to further create a movement of self-determination for the liberation of Aslan, something that Hispanic and Latino has yet to recognize, unquote. Americans, through domestic colonialist policies in the field of education, are attempting to reduce the term 
Chicana Chicano to a philosophical conception that is firmly grounded within an individualist outlook. Some of our so-called allies within the American left and even members of the nation itself have taken the stance that Chicanos and Chicanas are not a nation, but are instead an ethnicity stripped and devoid of all the material criteria pertaining to nationhood. Our petty bourgeois intellectuals have been the particular target audience of this ideological offensive. Many of them regurgitate such fallacious and reactionary ideas back to our people. Most of these petty bourgeois ideologues have served the imperialists as mouthpieces to the means of film, literature, and television, thus identifying with the oppressor and objectively becoming traitors to the, to the nation. This erroneous reasoning is nothing but oppressor nation politics, which, is, which are grounded in their desire to preserve their own material interests within a potentially revolutionary scenario. Liberalism is a petty bourgeois philosophical outlook that rejects ideological struggle and stands for unprincipled peace. In particular, what is practiced within the university setting teaches students that everyone's opinion is equally valid and carries equal weight, thus bearing the truth and discouraging students from reaching correct conclusions. Effective manipulation is owed in large part to various liberal multiculturalist courses and so-called ethnic studies departments in America's universities. The universities have been tasked with carrying out this virtual indoctrination of the Chicano intelligentsia, who along with the imperialists have been greatly successful in erasing the national question of Chicanos in Aslan. Within these university settings, our culture is projected as quaint. Quote, they teach us to celebrate culture while simultaneously offering workshops on how to manage diversity. But within these workshops, however, conflict rarely arises, nor does it offend, unquote. Alongside this academic indoctrination are the very real material concessions made available to the Chicano people in the form of super wages. These super wages are actually extracted and reappropriated to Americans via stolen super profits from the global periphery. Super profits and other abundant goods are used to bribe Chicanos and ensure their loyalty to the oppressor nation. High living standards due to the proximity and integration of the Chicano nation with the empire have resulted in the embourgeoisement of some rasa. This embourgeoisement is based materially on the enrichment of Chicanos to the forced impoverishment of the underdeveloped nations of the third world and ideologically in the identification of Chicanos with the American nation via the first world belief that they deserve to live whole, live, whole levels above the rest of the oppressed world. Thus, our attempts to rescue the nation are made that much more difficult as many will see our struggle in complete opposition to their way of life. Indeed, our struggle for an independent socialist Chicano state is in complete opposition to the gross 
parasitism currently practiced by all Americans whose privileged, decadent lifestyles are presupposed on the oppression and super-exploitation of the third world, or as the Communist International most more eloquently put it when speaking of the European and American so-called proletariat in 1919, quote, at the expense of the plundered colonial peoples, capital corrupted its wage slaves, created a community of interest between the exploited and the exploiters as against the oppressed colonies, the yellow, black, and red colonial peoples, and chained the European and American working class to the imperialist fatherland, unquote. This chaining of the American and European working class is more commonly known and firmly pronounced in the labor aristocracy theory, famously put forward by Friedrich Engels, V.I. Lenin, and in more recent times, the Maoist internationalist movement. The Chicano nation is no exception to this bourgeoisification. Like all other oppressed nations within the United States, except for perhaps undocumented migrants and the various First Nations who by and large still find themselves living in subhuman conditions. Indeed, even the Chicano Lumpen benefits from this oppressive relationship. However, due to the precarious stratification of the Lumpen and the imperialist refusal to let us fully integrate into America, our allegiance to the imperialists is more tenuous. As the Lumpen experience oppression firsthand here in America, we are in a position to spearhead the revolutionary vehicle within U.S. borders. So th this this was uh, <clears throat> this was the first introduction to this book, Chicana Chicano Power and the Struggle for Aslan, and. Uh, you know, it gets in a lot of stuff. You know, it mentioned the labor aristocracy. That's something that people in various political parties and organizations are grappling with. It's, they speak about it and struggle about it in their meetings, you know. And the thing is, living in the first world, you know, um, you know, when we think about unions, you know, because in other countries the unions were always the revolutionary vehicle um, in, in different societies around the world. Um, but when you look at the unions within the U.S., you know, um, they are, you know, for the most part, um, you know, <coughs> they are pretty much hitched to uh, the empire. You know, they have, um, in many, many cases, they have, um, you know, interests. Um, they, they get paid, you know, what the book talks about super wages when they're getting paid $60 an hour, $80 an hour, um, you know, um, and yet they're supposed to be the revolutionary vehicle. That's absurd, you know, and, and yet, you know, we have political parties within the U.S. Um, who would argue um, that, that they are a revolutionary vehicle. And in my opinion, these are more of the Trotskyite organizations who, you know, they side with uh, Trotsky on, you know, on, on the arguments um, concerning the first world and the um, whether it's uh, 
there's a, a, a revolutionary vehicle here or not. And, um, you know, in my opinion, the unions and other many other, uh, most other people, you know, are, are just paid these super profits where, yeah, the cost of living is high, um, but compared to um, third world countries, um, the living standards are much higher as well. You know, they, you know, there's running water. You got hot water here. You know, you can walk into a clinic, can get your medicines at ease, no problem. Even if you're unemployed, you could get Medi-Cal. You know, you you have food stamps here. You know, if you're poor, you know, there's shelters. You have, um, you know, um, you have retirement benefits. You have um, you know, um, vacation pay, you have uh, pension plans. Um, these things are unheard of in the third world. A and when we even think about um, countries that, that went through revolutions like um, Russia or, or China, um, they didn't have no pension plans. They're, you know, you, these people, this is, this, they're talking about the proletariat, the working class. They're talking about, you know, 10, um, 12, 14-hour days, child labor, you know, no insurance. There ain't no workman's comp there. You get hurt, you're, you're, you don't eat, you know. So it's a different environment. And so um, this chapter, particular chapter, touched on a lot of things. Um, I, I like to look at the labor aristocracy and how, you know, really it's, um, you know, there's an elite workforce here. Uh, within these um, in the U.S. and and it's just um, um, the working the the really the white working class in 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 in, in particular is not a revolutionary vehicle at this time, and you know we, you know we have the Chicano working class. There's the black working class, and most working classes are not there yet ideologically and politically. Um, and so there's work to be done in that field, but, you know, um, the majority of people, you know, in the U.S. Are, are, are white, you know, and that's just the majority of population, so workers included. You have five minutes. And um, we have five minutes to go. And so, yeah, so that's, um, you know, some of the things that this chapter covered and, you know, it's just, um, and it also addresses um, the Chicano, um, you know, academia within the Chicano nation and how they're affected by the universities and, you know, this whole concept of, um, you know, we're all American. Because it's, it's not true. You know, we derive from the Chicano nation and we have to stop uh, thinking in this fairy tale stuff. So, you know, that's it. But... We're, we're um, let me see, we're going to, um, we're going to be going, you know, I, I spoke a lot on the prison struggles and what was going on there, and, you know, I, I plan to just read more of the book. Well, next time, yeah. Yeah, yeah Tune in for it. Absolutely. Yeah, next hopefully, time. You know, next Tuesday, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, this news is very important, so, you know, it cut into some of the time, but, um, you know, we got to hear a little. What do you think uh, roughly about the book in general? I mean, you haven't got to read it yet. 
loop in, but it's it's what's interesting to me is it comes out of prison. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Prisoners (laughs) writing a book. I mean, really. Right, and uh, there's so much information in there about you know us Chicanos, and and like I said, it reads like a history book, you know, and 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 there's a lot of detail in there, and um, you know it's well worth you know getting it and um, informing yourself if you don't know anything about your raza (laughs) Mm. and 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 things of that nature. So um, I mean. I don't want to say too much because, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be talking about it uh, some more maybe next next time, uh, next Tuesday, uh, when we come back, when you're back on the air. And so, and, and we only have a few more minutes, right? Uh, I forget, I can't see it from here, but uh, it's, uh, don't we? Yeah, two minutes, yeah. So go ahead and no, say so your goodbyes. That was wonderful, mm-hmm. and, you know, I just want to... Um, you know, say that this book right here is, you know, for one, it was written by Chicano prisoners. That's never been done in the history of U.S. prisons ever. You know, Chicano prisoners never written a revolutionary book. So that's something to check it out just for that alone. And then, like I said, you know, if you look through the table of contents, it just has, um, you know, covers everything from, you know, colonization, development, and the U.S. war on Mexico, Talks about the Mexican Revolution, um, from imperialist war to braceros, the Brown Liberation Movement. Talks about the nation and what defines a nation. That's a very interesting chapter as well because you can't just go around saying you're a nation. You have to fall under, you know, you have to um, meet certain criteria. You know, territory, language, economy, culture. These are things that define a nation. And if a people meet these criteria, they're they're a nation. They developed into a nation. So, this is uh, th- this is uh, it's a very interesting book. But you know, um, to learn more, you can uh, you know, email me at Jose H Villarreal, uh, spelled with two R's, one, that's the number, not the word, at gmail.com. Jose H Villarreal one at gmail.com so you could email me and then learn how to get this book very powerful book but um this is going to be it for now so we're going to sign off uh lupe thank you once more for joining me here on free aslan absolutely we'll see you next time okay perfect and this is uh kexu 96.1 fm this is jv and you're listening to free aslan 15 16